Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. to say good morning and welcome to you, Mercy Church. Um, man, it is a good day this morning for us. Um, I want you to know uh, what we said last weekend, if you were here, uh, we talked about kind of the vision for our church. It's something we've been talking a lot about is where the Lord is taking us. And a big part of that, we said, is that we want to be about sending the gospel as far as we can, as fast as we can as a church. We believe that the gospel that has the, the Lord has saved us with is what he also sends us out with. And so as a church, we're going to be about church planting. It's kind of the core of who we are. We're a four-year-old church, if you're new to Mercy, and we have been about church planting since day one, uh, even, even as ourselves as a church plant. We sent um, some folks out to Southern California, and we sent a couple of our people to join a church planting team out there back in 2016. 2017, we sent some folks to Atlanta. Uh, last year, we sent some folks, and again this year, to Brooklyn, New York, um, to help plant a church there. We are a part of planting churches. It is the core, it's core to who we are as a church. Uh, we want to send you out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and so we send short-term trips, and we send folks to go and move their lives to take the gospel um, to, all the way to the far corners of the earth. That includes stateside and international as well. So today, in a lot of ways, feels like Vision Day Part 2 for me uh, because we're going to spend some time introducing you to the church planter and the church plant that we are getting behind together as a church to help um, plant a, a gospel-centered church in the city of Nashville, Tennessee next year. And so uh, the guy who's going to be preaching for us this morning is the one who's going to be leading that church plant, the pastor who's going to be leading that church plant, a dear friend of mine uh, who I got to serve for a long time with um, up in Raleigh-Durham at the Summit Church, the church that sent uh, Mercy Church out, is now sending this church, and we are partnering alongside of the Summit to send uh, this team to go. Uh, his name is Derek Delane. He is a familiar face, kind of like extended family for Mercy Church, has preached a few times for us before, so we're excited to have him back here. He's going to be planting Proclamation Church alongside a team of people uh, in the fall of 2020, Lord willing. Now, um, he's going to be preaching God's Word for us this morning, but I want to tell you, we have actually have set up an interest meeting for you at 1 o'clock today here at our Providence Road campus that we'd love for all of you to come, not just if you would be interested in going and joining, and we are praying that some of you would consider uprooting your lives from Charlotte and going and joining this launch team, because uh, I know the feeling, I know what it takes to, to go, the process that you go through of planting a church and uh, the Lord brought people from several cities to, here to Charlotte, and we believe Charlotte can be a sending city, and we want to see some folks go and join in Nashville. But even if that's not going to be you, I want you to hear a little bit more about what it means for us to be a church planting church, a sending church, and we're going to talk about that at that interest meeting at one o'clock. So it's one o'clock at our Providence Road campus, all right? So now what I want to do is I want to bring up um, Derek Delane. He's going to come and preach for us. So at both of our campuses, will you join me in welcoming Pastor Derek Delane. 
Yeah. The, um, the last thing I'll say to, to both campuses, listen, uh, planting a church is, is very hard. Okay, this guy, if he's not tired, he's not doing it right. So I'm sure he's exhausted. Uh, so y'all um, really get lock in with him today. Encourage him. If his jokes are lame, laugh anyways. Amen. Everything that comes out of God's word, y'all be with him. All right, preach to us, brother. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mercy Church, I'm so glad to, to be here with you all uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. That is where we're going to be. Um, and I'm so excited that I get a chance to, to be here. Uh, I was telling Pastor Spence earlier when we were walking around a little bit that literally every time I come uh, to Mercy Church, it feels like a little family reunion. Uh, I get a chance to see people who uh, actually left from the Summit Church to come here and plant. And then uh, a couple times that I've been here, I've been able to get to know uh, several of you from time to time in our conversations. So it feels like I'm coming home to family. So thank you very much for, for welcoming, uh, welcoming me as, as usual. Um, listen, as we jump into the text today, there is a question uh, that we usually ask that will grab the hearts of the greatest philosophers as well as uh, uh, little toddlers, and that's the question of why. Why? If you've gone to any philosophy class or anything like that, uh, you probably heard the question why, right? Like, why do we exist? Why do people do the things that they do, right? And then if you've been around a toddler for any length of time, they're also going to throw that question at you. Why, right? Uh, a couple years ago, my, my daughter, she's now, she's now eight, but I remember when she was like two or three, we were driving in the car, just her and I, and she was like, she was like, Daddy, do you love me? It's easy, right? Like, yes, of course. She's like, why? Well, because uh, I'm your dad and I'm supposed to. Why are you my dad? <laughs> Like, well, because God thought it was great to give you to me, right? Why did God think it was great to give me to you? And I was like, I don't know, because right now I'm getting really frustrated, right? <laughs> Might not be a good dad after this, right? But we always ask that question, why? And it makes me think a little bit. If we were to ask that question when it pertains to the church, why does the church exist? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we meet here on, on Sundays or throughout the week? Why do we do small groups? Why, why, why? And I feel like 1 Peter chapter 2 actually answers that question for us specifically today. And I pray that for myself and for you all under the sound of my voice today, that as we see this question, why, as we ask that question, that we would be able to step away from here today and live our lives in such a way where we are answering that question. Why do we as a church exist? You know, oftentimes we, I would ask that question and some people say, well, you know, the church exists because, you know, we enjoy good music, right? We, we love singing, so we come together. Yeah, that's good. Or, or we exist to, to encourage each other, right? The rest of the week is, is trash sometimes, and so coming together, this is good for us. Some would say, well, we exist, the church exists so that, you know, I could meet my significant other, Right? And some of you in here are like, well, I'm not sure about that because I've yet to find that, that person. <laughs> but my hope, again, is that we would look at this and would answer that question and encourage us out today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9, Peter is talking here and he says to the persecuted church at Asia Minor, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Guys, I have an observation for us today, and that is this, that the power of grace creates the promises we have in Jesus, which pushes us to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. As we, as we look at this today, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. If you are in this room today and you aren't following Jesus, if you're not a believer, I don't, I don't mean to exclude you, but this passage is really directed to those who understand the beauty and the realities of Christ Jesus and who he is. But on the same tone, I, I pray that you would come to see the beauty of Christ today. As to why we have an opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of Christ Jesus. And that you yourself would want to come under the, the lordship and the, the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. My hope is for that for you today. And I've been praying for that throughout this week. So there are three things that I want us to see in this passage. The promises we have in Jesus, the power of grace, and the purpose of us, the church. Number one, the promises we have in Jesus. Verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, Peter is using this section of scripture, as I mentioned already, to encourage the persecuted church in, in Asia Minor. And, and he's doing this by pointing to specific areas in the Old Testament that, that is talking to, to the, uh, the children of Israel. And he's now using this to, to encourage this, this church and say, hey, these promises that were for, for the, the nation of Israel, those are for us as well. And this is how we know it. It's because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so what are those promises that we ourselves need to be reminded of and encouraged with today? Number one, we are a chosen race. I want you to say that with me because I love crowd participation. Say, I am chosen. chosen. Now say it like you believe it. I am chosen. chosen. This, This phrase, a chosen race, it echoes in the book of Isaiah, which announces that God himself is the only savior for the people. And, and what he says is, I am going to be this God who will deliver these people from their exile in Babylon. You see, this, this chosen group of people, they stem from a, from a common lineage, and that was Abraham. If you're familiar with Old Testament text, we know that, that God told Abraham that it's through him that he was going to bring a people to himself. And so he, he says that this is our common lineage, but then he jumps to them and says, well, hey, we also have a common lineage as well. And that common lineage is that, number one, we're broken sinners. However, we are now saved through Jesus Christ. And so that is who we are. We are, we are chosen. And so this chosen race, it belongs to God. Why? Not based off anything that we've done, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we're broken individuals. We're not as good as we want to be or think that we are, right? And so he says, this is who you are because of who Jesus is and who he has deemed you to be. They were chosen because God decided this is who I wanted to save. Not only are we chosen by God, I love this, we are now a new race. See, this chosen race is made up of people who are not of the same nationality. That means that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you have brothers and sisters in Iran, in Iraq, in China, and and, and, and North Africa, and North Korea, at the border, in Raleigh, where I've come from, in Nashville, where I'm going, you have brothers and sisters who do not look like you. Listen, I love this, right? I'm, I'm unapologetically black, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm proud of it. I am beautifully and wonderfully made, and, and my wife would agree with that, amen? <laughs> this is who I am, and I can, I can be proud of it in the same way that you can be proud of who you are. However, 
However, in Christ Jesus, we belong to a race that's greater than our own. Our identity is that we belong to the race of people chosen of God. And here's the thing, that doesn't mean that I ignore who I am or who God has made me to be in the same way that you don't ignore who you are and who God has made you to be. However, that means that I, I see your skin color in the same way you see my skin color. I see your struggles in the same way you see my struggles. And because we're family, because we are this new race of people, we wrestle with those things together. We do not ignore them. We, we enter into it with, with open arms and, and open hearts and open hands. We lean into it with each other. And we seek to help to see reconciliation on our behalf because we're family. And that's the beauty of the diverse church that God has called chosen people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And if that's true, if that's true, then one implication of that is that the makeup of our local churches should reflect the diversity of the peoples living in our communities. That should be a reality for us. That God chooses the unalike, people who would not have been friends based off their ethnicity, their age, their socioeconomic status. All those individuals are built into the church and made into a family. That's good news for all of us because inside of every single one of us is this desire to be chosen into family, right? Even when I talk about this idea of being chosen, some of you kind of had some back. Uh, some, some flashbacks, right, when you were in middle school and someone was picking, you know, teams for, for kickball or whatever the case may be, and you didn't want to get picked last, right? Right, as soon as I say that, you're like, oh, Lord, ooh, I remember that. No one wants to be picked last. And even as we grow up, we begin to still have this desire where we want to be chosen. And some of you guys are facing struggles in your life right now where you are still picked last, where you're spouse has chosen another lover over you, and it's broken your heart and devastated you. Some of you wanted that promotion so bad at your job that you were willing to, to cut corners and do whatever it takes to, to get that promotion, and yet the boss chose someone over you. Some of you have, have come from broken homes, and you dealing with hurt from parents who have neglected you or not have been as loving as they should be. They've chosen a career or something else over you. You so desperately want their affection. We all want to be chosen. That is who we are. But the reality, something I can encourage you in today is that God wants you. God has stepped in. He said, I choose you. And I love that. When I was preparing this sermon, just like I do every other time, I listen to music. And when I got to this point, there was a, 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 a Willie Hutch's song, I Choose You, came on. You guys know that song? I, I, I choose you, baby, and I'll tell you why. You guys don't know that song? Man, y'all, Pastor Spence, you need to get these people to listen to some good music. That's a good song. Listen, so Willie Hutch is singing a song, and he's singing to this girl, and he's saying, I choose you based off all these great things that you've been able to do for me. When I was down and out, you were by my side. You're beautiful and attractive and, and all these great things, right? But then when we stop and think about it, God chooses us, and we don't add anything to the equation at all. We're not attractive. We can't do anything to save ourselves, and God still says, I choose you. 
You are a chosen race. You are this new race made up of many ethnicities chosen by God on the basis of his love and born again of imperishable seed. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, the next three are direct quotes from Exodus 19 when God makes a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. Let's keep on looking. Royal priesthood. Let's say that. Let's say that together. I am royalty. royalty. That's what I love. To comprehend this, we need to understand the role of a priest in ancient Israel. You see, a priest had special access to God. He would speak to God on behalf of the people. He would go and make sacrifices on behalf of the people. He would go and, 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 and pray to God on behalf of the people. He would get a word from God and deliver it to the people. And so essentially, this priest was this, this, this mediator between God and the people. And what God is saying is that now that you belong to me, that's your role. You are this priestly person. But in order to do that, the priest was to be sanctified or to, to put another part, uh, uh, another way to be set apart from the people at large for the ministry of God in whom they had special access to. Now catch this. In God saying that the people themselves are now the priests, he is stating that as a whole, the entire nation of Israel was to be set apart from all the rest of the nations of the world. But then Peter has the audacity to declare similarly to, to, to the Christians, to Christian believers as well, that they are to perform the same function as the priests were, to, to go to God on behalf of the people, to, to pray to God for the people, to, as they received a word from God, to deliver it to the people. But what must not be forgotten in this is through all of that, they had special access to God. If you know Christ Jesus, you have special access to God. Yeah, at, at, at any given moment in your life, you have an opportunity to stop what you're doing and pray to the creator of the universe. Why don't we do that? Why, why is it that we, we take our time with God and just kind of flippantly just like, ah, checkbox, right? We have an opportunity to, to meet with God, to pray with God, to commune with God. And not only for ourselves, but on behalf of our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers, and ask God to do something special in their lives. We have that access. I'm going to keep on going. We're a holy nation. Say with me. We are a holy nation. Guys, Peter continues building on this new covenant theme. And he is stating that even though they are part of the culture of their time, they belong to this new nation that is constituted as believers in Christ Jesus. See, this designation of believers as a holy nation, it it reinforces the concept of being set apart, where you need to be obedient to who God has called you to be and and to be sanctified, set apart. It, It refers not so much to their moral status, but to their calling as people set apart by God. And therefore, a higher calling to moral quality. You see, ancient Israel's holiness as a nation, it derived from the holy king of the universe. He had cut this covenant with them, and he said, you now belong to me as his chosen nation. You, you, you belong to me. You're the special possession. And so if that's true, there, there needs to be a way in how you live. You see, we are a holy nation. When speaking of holiness here, we need to understand it in two ways. First, there's this positional holiness. What I mean by that is, is you are holy because God has said that you are. You're holy simply on the fact that he said that you are holy. God is holy, and what he deems is holy is holy. 
And here's the thing. The reality is we are not everything that we are going to be or what we're meant to be just yet, right? We need to understand that. But because God has called you to be holy, because he said that you are holy, by God's grace, we are. And what we are set apart from everything and everyone else, that's what we mean when we say that there's this positional holiness. But here's the thing. Even though God says that we are holy, that doesn't give us the green light to just sin it up, right? We don't just do what we want to do. See, there's this positional holiness, but then there's this practical holiness as well. This has to do with our behavior. Jesus in John chapter 17, when he prayed for us, he prayed that we would be sanctified in truth. And when he said this, he said, Father, your word is truth. So every time we open up our Bibles, every time we hear truth, that God, that's God's way of increasingly making us more and more like him, more and more like him in holiness. So when Pastor Spence is up here preaching or whoever is up here in, in the pulpit, this is an opportunity for you to take what is given to you and, and grow in your holiness. That means we change our attitudes, we change our behavior, we change our language so that our behavior can match our description of what God has said, that we are a holy nation. In fact, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, just the previous passage, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, that's God, you also be holy in all your conduct. He says you must be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Question for you all this morning. Does your life look like the one who is calling you to be holy? To put it a, another way, do you look like your daddy? When I, when I walk around, or excuse me, my, my wife walks around from, from time to time. We've got two little kids, True and Michael. And she's walking around the mall with them. From time to time, someone will come up to, to her, just random strangers, and just be like, ooh, those babies look like they daddy. <laughs> you just carried them, huh? Right? And she used to get so frustrated with that when people would do that. And she, she still gets a little bit frustrated if you ever see you don't say that to her in Jesus' name. Right? But, but they, she would do that. And, like, there was a time when I just came to her. I was like, well, they should look like me, right? I am they daddy. <laughs> I hope so, right? <laughs> they, they, they should look like me. There are characteristics that they have that when, I, when we see it happen, it's like, dang, that's me, right? When they be crazy, I'm like, dang, that's their mama, right? <laughs> like, we see those different things. They should look like me. In the same way, guys, if we belong to God, should we not look like him? In our language, in our actions, and how we interact with our, our neighbors, in the same way that God has been compassionate to us, should we not be compassionate to others? In the same way he has been patient with us, should we not be patient with others? In the same way he has brought in the unalike to be a part of the family, should we not do the same? This is who we are. And here's the thing. This isn't perfection because we live in an already not yet. We're going to mess up a lot. However, there are areas in our lives where we are seeing areas of un holiness, we've got to crush it because it's inconsistent with who our daddy is, which leads us to our final promise. We are people for his own possession. Say this, say, I belong to God. Transition there, I'm going to throw that over my shoulder. Look at that. Guys, this, this statement is an allusion to both Exodus and Isaiah where God refers to his holy nation in the context of the Exodus and, and later in the Babylonian exile, respectively, as the people out of all the people in the world, God says, these are the ones I want. 
and they belong to me. If these promises are ours in Jesus, then we are God's possession. Man, if I think if we just stopped and processed that a little bit, so much of our lives would change. That when we're going through the valleys of the shadow of death, when we're feeling hurt and and persecuted and, and broken, we have an opportunity to stop and say, but if God, if I belong to God, that means that he's walking in those valleys with me. That means that if I belong to God, that, that there's no weapon that's going to be formed against me that's going to prosper. That, that if I belong to God, then that means that he is for ultimately his glory, but also for my good. So that, that should change so much of how we live our lives if that is a reality, that we belong to God. But a lot of times we don't think about that. Guys, if we are in Christ, we are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are God's special possession. And this isn't a maybe sort of kind of thing. He says that you are this. This is who you are. This is your identity. This is a promise. However, this promise only comes through Jesus Christ, which leads us to our second point this morning, the power of grace. Look at verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. See, before you can claim the promises that are yours in Jesus, you must remember where you came from. Because when we remember where we came from, we can appreciate the power of grace even more. And I love this. Peter continues his Old Testament excursion by by quoting Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. And if you're not familiar with Hosea at all, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. And and God tells him to to marry, I'm sorry, uh, parents, um, he tells him to marry a prostitute. And however, even though he's married to this woman, she is continuing on in her profession, if you will. And essentially what God says to Hosea is, I'm telling you to do this for for a couple reasons. I, I, I want you to see just how my people who belong to me also cheat on me. How they are constantly still in their profession, if you will, and not resting in who I am. And, and what happens eventually in the story this, this uh, uh, Hosea's wife, Gomer, she, she continues on in her profession, and eventually she comes to a man who, who abuses her and then puts her into the marketplace to be sold. And then God steps in. And he says, hey, Hosea, I want you to get your wife. But before you do that, he, he reads this, and he says this in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And he says this to Hosea, and then he turns to Hosea and says, hey, go get your wife. Go get your wife. And what does Hosea do? He sells all his possessions. He, 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 he scrounges up all his money, and he goes into the marketplace, and he purchases his wife back, and he says to her, you belong to me, and I belong to you. And God tells Hosea to redeem this relationship. Why? Because that is what God intended to do for his people. That is what he intended to do for his people. He says that I will have mercy on those people who have no mercy. Those, those people who are, who are not my people, they will become my people. 
And Peter here is saying, this is what Jesus has done for us. You see, God stepped into the marketplace of our sin, and he bought us back. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. The, the, the best way that I can uh, 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 illustrate this, my wife, I keep talking about her a little bit today, she does hair for a living. But what that, she's, a, she's a cosmetologist. And, and the thing that I love about my job, I have an opportunity to officiate a lot of weddings, and I love doing that. But seeing what my wife does for work and then also seeing the work that it gets to, to, to get the bride looking the right way on a wedding day is, is mind-blowing. For, if you don't know anything about it, I'm about to peel the curtain back and you're going to see it. Okay? So uh, a bride will actually rehearse weeks before her actual wedding day what her hair is going to look like, what her makeup should look like. She rehearses all the way up until the, the wedding day on these trial runs so that on the day of the wedding, when, when the cosmetologist comes in, they remember, this is how the hair is supposed to look. You, you've done the steps necessary to make sure that your makeup looks flawless. Why? Because the bride needs to be the most beautiful girl in the room. The most beautiful girl in the room. And literally every wedding that I've done, this isn't tongue-in-cheek, the bride is always the most beautiful girl in the room. Now, here's the reality, right? So when, when the bride comes down the aisle, the groom is always a bumbling mess. Snot down his nose, his knees shaking, everything. An expectation of, of this woman that's coming his way. And in his mind, he's thinking, she belongs to me, and I belong to her. And the reality is, right, we know what's under the makeup. <laughs> we, we know that the hair isn't always perfect. But on the day of the wedding, she's the most beautiful girl in the room. And, and I say that because as I think about what Christ has done for us, you see, we're, we're messed up. We've got blemishes. Our hair is all over the place. But Jesus paid the price so that our hair could be perfect. He paid the price so that our skin would be immaculate. And the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, if we look back on our past, we know that we are messed up. Underneath all the covering is jacked upness. But Christ, through his blood, has covered us up. So that on the day that we see him face to face, we're the most beautiful girl in the room. We are perfect. We are flawless because of everything that he has done. And here's the thing. That's all grace. That's all grace. We don't deserve it at all. That should reshape how we think about how we walk in our lives. That should reshape how we think, how we should live our lives. Because Jesus has done this for us. This is grace. And so for the, for the rest of us who understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, this is the moment where we put the pens down and we put our hands up and say, just like the hymn, the hymn writer, and can it be that thou wouldst die for me, that we have an opportunity to see him for, for who he is, that he loves us so much, that we are this cherished, that we are this love, that we are this thought for, that he would be willing to go through all of that for us. That's good news. For many of you in this room who may not know who Christ is, this is why we put our hands up when we sing. This is why people are crying when, when worship is going on. Because the reality is we don't deserve this. We don't deserve this at all. But Jesus stepped in and he said, no, that's mine. 
and I'm going to do whatever it takes to purchase that person. And he's done that. And if you don't know who Christ Jesus is, it's here in this moment, you're like, well, that's pretty simple. You mean that he did all that for me and I don't get to do anything at all? Yep. That easy. However, there is a catch, if you will, for all of us. You see, this now gives us this purpose is what I want to talk about. The purpose of the church. My third point. Why were the promises that we have in Christ Jesus given to us? Why did he go through all of that stepping in and dying in our place and claiming us for himself? Why did he go through all of that? Let's look at the second part of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Guys, he made us a, a chosen race so that. He said that we are royal priesthood so that. He said that we are a holy nation so that. He, 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 he claimed us as a possession for himself so that. We are people who didn't have mercy, now we have mercy so that. We were no people, but now we're God's people so that we could proclaim the excellencies of him who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is our purpose as proclaimers of God. It's tied to, to what he has made us. That is our purpose we have been given this mission of a verbal proclamation. We are to make much of God to pursue his fame. And Peter links God's excellencies with his saving work and his readers by calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, then, we have been chosen by God as his special possession to do this work. You see, we are people who've been brought out of darkness into light, and now we have an opportunity to step back into the darkness and help proclaim and, and bring people out of darkness into the light. God does the work, but he is gracious enough to use us to be a part of that mission. It's part of the reason why we're moving to Nashville, Tennessee. On paper, does it look like I like country music? <laughs> y'all laughing, so y'all know that then. <laughs> nope. <laughs> But there is a need, a verbal proclamation, that there is work that, that Christ needs to do in the life of people who are, who are not yet sons and daughters. That there are people who are still walking around in the, in the darkness of their sin and their shame. That they need to experience the mercy and grace of God. And if we can, here I am, Lord, send me. So we are being obedient to that call. We, we are stepping out, and the reality is many of you all need to step out as well. The question that I have for you, even if you're not coming to Nashville, what does it look like for you to do that here in the Queen City? How are you proclaiming the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? You've been chosen for this person, for, for, for this uh, uh, reason. Who is that person in your life that you need to share the truth of Jesus with? Are you carrying the excellencies of Jesus anywhere? Is the gospel so dear to you? Are you so blown away with the idea of being called out of darkness to his light? If you're not, why not? Why not? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't understand the call to be obedient and sharing the truth to Jesus. I would say that we suffer from what Paul Tripp calls as all amnesia. We, ha we have lost the awe of what Christ has done for us. We, we think that some way, shape, or form that we deserve to be called out of darkness into light, that we've earned this, and that is far from the truth. You see, we, we don't deserve 
any of it. Do you ever find yourself there sometimes? Do you ever think that you have earned this thing? Listen, when we remember the goodness of God and everything that he has done for us, we can't help but to reach out to others and say, look at what God has done for me. <laughs> Listen, the most convincing thing about the Christian faith is God and who he is and what he has done. When people see something different in my life, my response should never be, yeah, look at me. It should always be, no, look at Christ. Because when you begin to peel back the layers of the covering, man, it's, it's dirty underneath there. It's broken. But God. But God. What you see is all glory to God. How can you proclaim the excellencies of God? who calls you from darkness into his light? Well, number one, I think it begins with you remembering that you were once in the dark to begin with. I'm not saying put yourself in a spot where you're like, oh, woe is me. I can't believe that I've done that. It it, it goes there because you do get to see the depths and depravity of your sin, but then you begin to see, well, man, now there's no condemnation. We just sang it. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. There's freedom in that, and we can rejoice in that. But we need to remember where we came from. It starts with remembering that. But then it it requires us to live our lives in such a way that is going to point people to Jesus and not ourselves. Will we make mistakes? Yep. We're going to mess up often. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to fight to live our lives in such a way that when people ask why we aren't living like everyone else, it gives us a chance to speak to our status as a holy people set apart by Jesus' blood shed for us. Which means... It also means that we use our mouths. I, I, I love this, this passage in Romans 10, 14. It paints the picture for us when it says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Guys, you must use words. You, you must understand, number one, the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done for you personally, and then be able to speak to that truth. Who do you need to speak to today. Peter goes on to say in chapter 3 to be ready to give an answer always of the reason of the hope that you have. Be able to give a reason, a verbal proclamation. We proclaim the excellencies of Jesus by telling people of what he's done. So the question I have for you today is who in your life needs to hear about the excellencies of Christ and what is keeping you from telling them? Because that is our purpose, church. That is why we exist Yes, we get to sing. Yes, we get to edify each other. Yes, we get to build each other up. Yes, we do all those things. But it's an empowerment for us to be able to go out and proclaim. How you live your life should point to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The power of grace creates the promises we have in Jesus, which pushes us to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Guys, remember, you are all those promises laid out in Scripture. That is who you are because Jesus has said that you are. But you are those things so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why don't you guys bow your heads real quick. As you're you're doing that, I want you to personally wrestle with asking God to forgive you for not proclaiming the way that you're supposed to. That there's something in your life that you've been holding on to that you have yet to give up. And he's asking you, no, 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 be open-handed with that because that is not who you are anymore. This is who you are. 
So I want you to pray and ask God to work in your heart in that way. Then number two, I want you to ask the Spirit to reveal who in your life needs to hear the truth of Jesus. What is keeping you from sharing that? You've been saved to proclaim. You've been saved to proclaim. Will you this week go and proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and his marvelous land? God, we need you. Help us to continue to be faithful to the work that you've called us to do. Empower us through your spirit to do just that. We can't do this by ourselves. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And will you guys thank Pastor Derek for preaching God's word to us? All right. I want to ask you like three questions in three minutes um, yeah. to put kind of boots on the ground of what you're, you're talking about. The first, uh, you guys may know we're a part of a, a network of churches called the Summit Network, um, Pastor Derek and Proclamation Church, which by the way, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, that's where Mercy Church gets its name from, which I can't imagine more of a sister church that's than amazing. that. This is the coolest thing. Um, but you got a pretty good gig. Um, I know you. Why in the world would you give that up to go be a church planter and go gray and all the stress <laughs> and everything associated with that? Um, because if they're, they're considering, um, anyone's considering stepping out and moving, it's a big sacrifice. So what's compelling you there? Again, you can't re-preach the whole sermon, but just like yeah. the, what, makes it, what makes it worth it to you? Yeah. So literally what I just preached, right? If Jesus has to be so worth it, right? You look at uh, uh, Matthew 13, right? Uh, the parable of, the, of uh, the, the guy who finds the treasure. He's willing to sell everything to obtain said treasure, right? And that treasure is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And if he's ruling and reigning and he tells us to go, man, why not? Why not? I feel like there's a level of disobedience um, if, I'm, if I'm not answering that call. Uh, and so after, after praying and realizing, it's like, yeah, we've got a great thing at the summit. It's awesome. <laughs> but can we replicate what's happening here somewhere else? that people who don't know who Jesus is, that they can come to Christ, right? If it's just one person that comes to know Jesus by us going there, then praise God. That's good, man. That's really good. Um, all right, the next question will be related to Nashville. I can't, in many ways, can't think of more. Uh, it's a really great sister city to Charlotte for a number of ways, but uh, you, you kind of joked about country music and how it may not be the most natural fit for you. So so why is, what is it about Nashville um, in particular that that yeah. is kind of drawing you and Rachel there? Yeah, three things that we prayed for. Uh, we wanted to be in an area that was culturally Christian. There are three mainline denominations in Nashville. Uh, and so it was like, man, that we, we want to be there um, in the Southeast. Uh, we prayed that we'd be in an area that has uh, a lot of college students. Uh, in Middle Tennessee, 120,000 college students are there between the 20 universities and uh, community colleges and everything else like that. And then we also wanted to pray, uh, we prayed specifically that we would be in an area uh, that we can help to speak into the conversation of cultural diversity. Um, that is what the Lord has used to save me and help to shape. And so we wanted to be in an area that we can speak to that even more. Uh, and Nashville had all of that and more. Uh, and plus hot chicken. It's got hot, ch hot chicken. Mm, hot so. chicken. Hallelujah. That's right. You'll have country music. We have banks. So <laughs> it's pretty exciting here in Charlotte too. Um, hey, last question I'll ask you is uh, what it takes to, what does it take to make the cut? Yeah. So when you think about launch team members and what you're looking for, make the cut is kind of my joking way to say, what are you looking for in a launch team member? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, number one, passionate about the gospel, right? Who, who Jesus is and what he's done in their lives personally. Um, 
uh, that should shape everything that we do. Uh, but with that being said, yes, that's the underlining thing, but what are they doing now? How are they serving the church now? How are they uh, uh, reaching out to their neighbors and coworkers and people in the gym now? Uh, and if they're doing those things here now, God has already primed the pump to have them be able to do that somewhere else, um, specifically, hopefully, in Jesus' name, in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> you, yep. They can't argue if you say in Jesus' name. That's so. right. Mm, yes, Lord. Um, let it be true. That's the word. Listen, let me, uh, I want to pray over you. Yeah, guys, we really, we put everything um, behind what we're saying here this weekend. Uh, we really mean it. Uh, we want this to be our, our biggest launch team yet, so to speak, that we send out from Mercy Church to support another church plant. Uh, you got to know, I say that with a bit of trepidation, right? Like I'm, I, I don't, we say around here, we send our best, but I kind of don't want to because I want you to continue doing the work here. But we recognize that that's what it takes. It takes that spirit of sacrifice of we believe the gospel needs to be preached to the ends of the earth as, as far and as fast as it can. And that's a step for us. And so we're going to commit financially as a church and we want to commit our people to go and be a part of that. So I want you to prayerfully consider that. Again, that's why we have our interest meeting at one o'clock just to hear more about Mercy's Heart for church planting. And of course, Pastor Derek will be there to talk about Proclamation Church. Let me pray over you uh, and then we'll keep worshiping together. Lord, thank you so much uh, for my friend, for my brother. Um, thank you for the calling you are placing on he and his family. So God, we ask that you would bless the efforts of Proclamation Church. Um, even now, Father, we pray that you'll begin to stir hearts towards the message that they're gonna receive next year. Um, but God, we pray for brothers and sisters to join them in this effort. We pray for you to provide. We know that you own everything, Father. So we pray uh, that you would strengthen his faith through the way you provide for them to be able to make this happen. We know you can provide. And so we're asking specifically, you bless them in this effort. God, we love you. We commit Proclamation Church to you just as we commit mercy into your hands. It is yours, Father, to you be the glory. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.